Alright, it comes time to, we know him, we love him, we appreciate him, the man of God he is. We've heard him preach before. Eric Prill, he's with his wonderful wife, Mary, uh, 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 Mary Claire. I want to call her Mary Kay all the time because of the cosmetic, but Mary Claire, I'm sorry, Mary Claire. I know her. Uh, uh, I know my, my daughter and son-in-law and her family love this couple dearly and appreciate his preaching. He loves the Word of God. His goal is not to tickle anybody's ears. His goal is to be true to God's Word to build up the church. So get your sermon outline out and get ready to take notes because he's going to come after we read God's Word together. He's going to come and preach God's Word to us. So... Uh, Philippians chapter 3, beginning at verse 17. Brethren, join me in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is is their shame who set their mind on earthly things for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself in chapter 4, verse 1, Therefore, my brethren, and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Pastor Creel, would you come? be here and thank you all for the invitation back. Let's take our Bibles and open up to Philippians chapter 3. My wife asked me on the way here, a good question for her to ask, well, how long is the sermon going to be? I assured her we could be eating lunch by 3 o'clock today. <laughs> so uh, hopefully your timers are on those ovens in such a way that you can be home by three. And that's condensing. So There's so much in here that, um, that we could look at. Before we start to examine this, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon the ministry of His Word. Our Father in Heaven, we bow before You, recognizing that as God, You are the Almighty. That there is nothing that escapes Your vision. There is nothing to difficult for you to do. God, we bless and praise you as the creator of all that there is. What an astounding thing. How we, as we think on that, ought to fall on our faces. Almighty God, who has created the heavens and the earth and everything in them, has given them specific design that we, in our technologically advanced culture, are only beginning to explore and find the vastness of. Yet you have met with us in Jesus Christ. You have moved, you have sent your Son, your only begotten Son, that we might have life. And John tells us that you have done that because you first loved us in order that we might love you. And so we ask you, knowing that you are gracious and kind and that you are giving, that you would give us your Spirit now as we study your Word that this would not be a dead time, a sleepy time, a time as we approach the lunch hour that we give in to the desires of the flesh rather than pursuing the things of the Spirit. So we ask for this powerful work in our midst. We ask this for all the true churches of Jesus Christ. And yes, we are, we are selfish. We pray especially for this area of central Georgia, that you would bless the churches here richly this morning. Change your people to conform to the very image of Christ. Give us all here this morning a love for your word. We ask it in the glorious name and unmatched name of Christ. Amen. Amen. Be like Mike. Anybody remember that? Be like Mike. 
Somewhere, I don't think it was in the 70s, but uh, perhaps in the 80s, Gatorade came out with a commercial, Be Like Mike. Very catchy. It's one of the, the most successful advertising campaigns ever. Be Like Mike. They later dropped it to Like Mike. It had caught on so well that they could drop the first part of the, of the slogan and just say, Like Mike. And people knew what they were talking about. One of their commercials has Michael Jordan, who of course is the Mike that it's talking about, has Michael Jordan in various uh, spectacular shots. But one of them is one where he left the ground on the other side of the free throw line. He glides through the air, ready to dunk. Somebody goes up to block it, and he switches the ball around while flying through the air, and he lays it in nice and soft. And then he lands gracefully. Typically, we don't see the landing. He lands gracefully, and he runs like a gazelle to the other end of the court. And if you're not a basketball player, you may say, so what? But if you're a basketball player, and you see that move where he goes up and he switches, he's going for a hard slam, but he switches it and he lays it in so nicely. A basketball player says, no way. No way. He didn't just do what he just did. If it was our time, we would say, oh, somebody with a computer really quickly manipulated the scene. They, they adjusted the, the video. No way did Michael Jordan just do that. I've tried that before. <laughs> and so I say, no way. And yet, yes way. Yes way. Be like Mike. You know what our text says this morning? Be like Paul. Be like Paul. Like Paul. You know what's ironic to me and sad to me as I look at this? There are so many more people who desire to be like Mike than desire to be like Paul. And I even think there are so many more people in the church of Jesus Christ who would much rather be like Mike than like Paul. Isn't that sad? And so as, as I open this text up to us this morning, as, as we eat from this text, I must tell you it's been my concern since I was given this assignment that there's a, there's a sad part to this text. And I don't want to hurt your feelings with it, but I wonder, are we really going to do this? <laughs> are we really going to do this? Would you rather be like Mike or like whatever your area is, your hobby, your interest, your profession? Would you rather be like that person who's, who's the head of that? Or would you rather be like Paul? And of course, we know why Paul can with confidence say, be like Paul, because who is Paul like? He was like Jesus Christ. And you see a beauty, beauty to this. You see Jesus walking the earth, having a limited number of experiences, but we are told to be like him, and then we're told to be like Paul, because now the church comes into existence, Christ gives birth to the church, but now there's all these things that weren't around yet when Christ ushered in the new covenant, and now we have Paul, we see Paul in those settings, and so we're told, be like Paul. Tremendous wisdom on the part of Almighty God. Well, you were exhorted to get the outline out. That outline is true to the text. Throw it away for a moment. I changed the outline uh, last night as I was reworking. And, and then this morning we were in a conversation at breakfast, and I thought, you know, I'm going to change this outline again. And then on the way here I told my wife the points, and she said, hold a minute. You said you were going down to two points. So there's about six outlines we could work off of this morning I'll give you this one that I've got up here and we'll work through it. I think it's important to change it this way. The first point we look at from this text is this. The sweet tone and touch of the text. The sweet tone and touch of the text. The tone of the text is, is that with which it is written. 
It's like a, a musical composition. This has a beautiful tone to it. And what I mean by touch is this, that this text reaches out and touches the heart of the Christian. And we've got to get that, because if we don't get that, we can see Paul as a hardcore apostolic teacher saying, you do this. But that's not the tone of the text. The tone of the text is one of the compassionate, gracious, loving heart of a pastor who is an apostle as well. It's really the heart of Jesus Christ for his people. And if you're going to walk in faith and obedience to Jesus Christ, you can't have just the faith as in the body of doctrine. You have to see the heart of Jesus Christ. And you have to see the heart of the text. And Paul does that masterfully with the words that he uses. Look in verse 17. Join in imitating me. Literally, the, the, the Greek brings the, the brothers and sisters or the brethren up faster. And, and my version is, is catching the nuance of the word. It's literally brethren. But by that, he means brothers and sisters. Now, Get that terminology. Brothers and sisters. We're church members, but it doesn't say you church members. He says brothers and sisters. Paul is saying here, I am writing to you as my brothers and as my sisters in Jesus Christ. We have a strong filial relationship. And thus he's pleading with us to do this. Later in the text, he, he speaks of, uh, of his heart towards those. Look at verse uh, 18. For I have often told you, and I'll say again with tears, with tears. Do you know Paul was a mighty weeper? <laughs> we have many references of Paul saying he, he just wept. And it's odd here, seems odd, that he weeps here as he speaks of those who hate the cross of Jesus Christ. He says, when I think of those who hate the cross, it just brings tears to my eyes. I weep over it. They're haters of Jesus Christ. You see the, the tone of the text here? Again, it's not a hardcore theologian sitting in an office somewhere thinking, you know, what can I write to those people that would be impressive? Oh, I know what I'll write. <laughs> His, Paul's heart's coming across. But then go to... Chapter 4 and verse 1, and one of the reasons we look here is because verse 4, or verse 1 of chapter 4, is the conclusion to this paragraph that we're looking at. It's a poor chapter division here. And we know that by the so then. See, the so then is the logical connection. He's, he's wrapping up what he's saying there, so look at the very end of that. Look how he ends it. Beloved. My translation says, dear friends, and that gets across the good idea, the dearness. But the word here is an agape word, and you know that word. It's an agape word. Beloved. So he starts with brothers and sisters, and he ends with beloved. You see the tone of the text? But look at verse 4. So then, my dearly loved and my longed for brothers and sisters. You're my joy and my crown. And then he ends with beloved. So we have to take these directives, these commands, and that's what they are. We have to take these commands in that context, in that mode of communication, that, that dearness of the apostle's heart to us. It is a sweet tone. And we must let the tone of the text touch our hearts. It's the sweetness of the Apostle Paul in his pastoral love for us. Well, if you have that, if you if you got that tone in your minds now, now we can look at the details. And the second one is second point then is this. Becoming imitators. Becoming imitators. I've worded it this way because of the way the, the text is written. We'll explain that in a moment. Becoming imitators. 
Yesterday I was riding with my daughter, actually two days ago, I was riding with my daughter. And we got talking about a magazine, a magazine that I have to be very careful as I mention it here. My wife warned me this morning, if you say anything bad about that magazine or the person on it, you'll turn some people off. They'll never listen to you again. So I'm being, I'm being kind. I'm not being judgmental here. It's, it's an observation. Magnolia Magazine. Joanna Gaines is on the cover of it every time. And so I said to my daughter, I, I find it odd that with you know, all the things that you could do in all of their industry, that it's always her picture. And he, she said, Dad, it's because lots and lots of women look up to Joanna Gaines and they want to be like her. Ah, they look up to her and they want to be like her. And so my wife says, don't say anything against Joanna Gaines. <laughs> I don't mean to turn anybody off in here. But we know as we reflect upon that, we, we see this abiding principle of humanness. It is an abiding principle of humanness. It is the way we are made. And when we don't do it, we are going contrary to the way that we're made. We are made to copy or mimic. God has created us that way. Adam was created how? Not as a self-existing independent being. He was created in the image of God as a servant of God. He was hardwired as an image of God, an image bearer of God. He was to mimic God. What are we as Christians to do? We are to mimic God. And basically what Paul tells us here, mimic me means mimic God. So that principle is part of our human makeup. So actually, when we look at this text, we find Paul doesn't give us just one command. He gives us two commandments. Two apostolic commandments and the authority of Christ in the tone of his loving pastoral heart. Let's put it like this. This is good for us. This is good for us. We need this. We need to do what Paul says here. And so the two commandments are these. Imitate me. The word there actually is a Greek word from whence we get mimic. Mimic me. But Paul means more than just do what I do. He means this. Be like I be. <laughs> Your being should be like me. Therefore, Paul does what he does because he is who he is. That connects us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Why could Jesus Christ offer him an eternal sacrifice for our sins? Because of who he is. Jesus could do what he did only because he is who he is. And so Paul is telling us here, not just do these things that I do. Yes, mimic those, but they need to come from the heart. They need to come from your being. You need to be this. And it's significant, this first command, as it governs the second one as well. He says, become imitators. Did you see that in there? It's, it's, a, uh, it's a beautiful word that has to do with join with. Join with and become imitators. So if you are a Christian and you have not been the imitator of the Apostle Paul as you are commanded to be, don't beat yourself up over that. But become the imitator now. That's what Paul's saying here. It's interesting. I've heard before, I've heard it preached before. Uh, Philippians is the one book where the church had no troubles. It's a book of joy. And there were no troubles. That's not true. That's not true at all. Paul right here is warning them of haters of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so become, become an imitator of Paul. But notice this. And this comes across with great emphasis. Look in verse 17. 
join in imitating me, get started on that, and, this is another imperative, pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. Y'all, I say like Paul, beloved, this is spoken with apostolic authority. An apostle is one who speaks with the authority of he who has sent him. The Lord Jesus Christ sent the apostle. When Paul says this, he speaks with the authority of Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he says this, pay attention to godly people and be like them. And we should say, amen. We should say, thank you, Lord. I don't know how to navigate this right here. I don't know how to do this. This person has done it. Follow them. I have a friend who is a, He's a retired F-22 pilot, a Raptor pilot. And he's told me of cases where he learned things. He learned maneuvering his F-22 by observing others maneuvering their F-22. So Paul says to us, here's good Christianity. He says, mimic me, become a mimicker of me, but also you watch. And when you see people who walk according to the truth, who are lovers of the truth, whose lives reflect it, he said, you take careful, pay careful attention to those people. What's he mean? Be like them. God has given those examples. Be like them is what he is saying. But there's a problem here. The problem is our pride. And we Americans, I don't know if we're worse than anybody that's ever existed. The, the Roman culture had some pretty rotten pride, most cultures. But we're a proud people, aren't we? We watched a movie last night, and it's just so interesting, this one part of it. It was about a, a, a prostitute who is redeemed. <sighs> and at one point in the show, this guy who wants to marry her and take her out of the situation. He's a Christian. Wants to take her out of the situation. The second time he talks to her. And uh, she's, she's standing kind of like this and he's there. And, and he's saying, come with me. And he turns and she says, you're a dirt farmer. You're, you're just a dirt farmer. Well, hold a minute. She's a prostitute. She's been one. She was brought into that kind of captivity when she was eight years old, locked in a rotten, wretched lifestyle. But now it's, it's become her. And she turns to a, a farmer and says, basically, go with you. You're a dirt farmer. You know what sometimes our hearts say to the Apostle Paul about mimicking him and following others? We say, you don't know who I am. And Paul would say, I know exactly who you are. You need to follow me. So let me ask you this morning. Do you have the humility to follow somebody else? I, I intend that as a piercing question. Because there's a lot of people who don't. There's a lot of Christians who don't. There's a lot of it. it, it it sounds crazy, but there's a lot of arrogant Christians. You have the humility to walk this way? Mimic Paul, but not just Paul, to see other Christians. And, and he's not talking about just the, the high-level Christians, you know, the, the nationally known preachers and all on the national scene of Christianity, follow them. He's talking about people in our churches. He's talking to the Philippians. You see people who do this, take, pay careful attention to them and follow them. If we scan the book here, just the letter, and we say, well, Paul, in what ways do we scan, do we uh, follow you? I, I just want to mention five things about Paul's character that we need to follow. First of all is this. You see in the letter to the Philippians, he was um, radically, he had a radical Christ pursuit. He was radically Christ-oriented. 
And I think the Philippians knew it even before they got this letter. You know what do we know about this guy right here? He is after Jesus Christ. He says in here in chapter 3 and verse 10 that he might know Christ. Prior to that, he has said, I lay everything aside, all of my pedigree. We can't relate to his pedigree, but it was a rich, rich pedigree. He had a lot to stand on in the flesh. He says, I throw it all away. It's dung. It's cow manure. That I might pursue Christ. That I might know the power of his resurrection. That I might be conformed to his death. Christ's death was a death unto sin. So as, as we mimic Paul, as we follow him, what do we see and what must we follow? We must be radical in our pursuit of Jesus Christ. Is that not what he said in the first part of this section here that you heard last week? Not that I have already reached the goal or I'm already perfect, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I also have been taken hold of Christ Jesus. I haven't, I haven't attained to the goal, Paul says, but I make every single effort I can to pursue that goal and grab onto it. And so he can say, be like me. Does your heart in here say, so what? Oh, it's almost time for lunch. Or does your heart say, yes, yes. that's what I want. That's what I want. Secondly, you study the book, you see, Paul had a firm foundation in the grace of God. I don't know if you can fully understand grace, but Paul had a big understanding of grace. We need that in our lives. For one thing, you will not exercise grace until you come to a greater understanding of the grace of God. And believe me, we need to be more gracious to one another. Paul had a firm foundation in the grace of God. He understood Especially coming from his background, he understood it wasn't these works, it wasn't my pride, it wasn't what I could do that gave me the standing before God. It was that God gave me the righteousness of Jesus Christ by his grace. Thirdly, Paul had a pervading pattern of prayer. He was radical in his pursuit of Christ, he had a firm foundation in grace. He had a pervading pattern of prayer. I'm going to guarantee every single book you pick up on prayer will tell you this. This is the hardest part of my Christian life. If it doesn't say that, chunk it out. It's not worth reading. Consistent, I say pervading prayer. Pervading prayer that reaches into all areas of our lives. All day long, all the time. is difficult. It's difficult. But if you look at this book and if you look at all Paul's letters, he emphasizes his prayers. And a focal point of his prayers that we need to pick up on is thanksgiving for the people of God. He is constantly, he says in various books, upon every remembrance of you, I give thanks to God. Well, hold it, Paul. Those people aren't perfect. Look at the Corinthians. How can you give thanks for them, Paul says? Even with all those troubles, every time I think of those Corinthian Christians, I give thanks to God. Do you give thanks for other Christians? Is it, a, is it a, something you have to drum up and insert into your prayer, or is it a natural flow of your prayers? God, thank you. When we realize what happens, that God raises a person from spiritual death, to spiritual life, where what that person once hated, that person now loves, and what that person once loved, that person now hates. God has made the difference in Jesus Christ and giving the Spirit. How can we not say, thank you, Father? Oh, that person's not perfect. My wife's the only person I know that lives with a perfect person. Her father lives with us. <laughs> you be careful. Be thankful for other Christians. You know what we like to do with other Christians? Gripe and complain and call them names. I come back to what C.S. Lewis says in uh, Screwtape Letters. This young Christian, he's been converted. He's praying. He's praying for his mom. 
Lewis is so insightful. You know what he's praying? He's praying that God would change everything in his mom that he doesn't like. <laughs> I pray like that at times. Don't you? I'm trying to, I'm trying to change my prayers. And so as he's praying for his mom, he gets thinking about the fact that he doesn't like these things about her. He gets irritated, he gets angry, and he's got to stop praying. <laughs> Let's learn from Paul. He thinks of the Christians, oh, all of the troubles in Corinth. And then he says, God, I thank you for those Christians. Oh, in Ephesus and what they're facing there and the terrible difficulties. Oh, Lord, I thank you for them. You Philippians, I know you're facing all kinds of problems and you've got these haters of the cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, but I give God praise and thanks for you. Start praying like that, it'll change your attitude towards God's people. So Paul had a pervading pattern of prayer. Paul had a living love for the people of God. He loved the people of God. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by your love one for another. You know what the church of Jesus Christ could use more of? I'm going to say what this church could use more of, like every other church, loving each other. And then I'm going to jump ahead. You're going to hear this in weeks to come, but we need to hear this in Ephesians 4. It's one of the most amazing statements in the entire book. Paul says, I have learned in whatever state I am to be what? Content. Oh, don't we as American Christians need to hear that? Contentment. Paul tells Timothy, listen, Timothy, my dear son, my disciple, contentment is to be valued unto godliness. Be content. We find in Paul a contentment. The, the Philippian Christians sent him a gift while he was in prison. And he received that gift, but he's, he's trying to walk the line. Oh, I'm so thankful for the gift, but I want you to know I'm, I'm completely happy without. Oh, but, but I'm glad to have it, but I'm completely happy. With, thank you for sending it, but I really didn't need it. That's the line he's trying to walk. I'm content in this prison and in my sufferings. But I do thank you for your gift. Thank you so much. Contentment. It's, it's a difficult one to attain to, but you attain to it by your pursuit, your radical pursuit of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the third point. Jay, do we end at 12? So, are we... Did y'all hear that? Get mad at him, not me. Okay. We go to 2 o'clock, get mad at him. <laughs> A sharp contrast, sharp contrast. Here's what Paul's going to do in these verses that end chapter 3. He's going to contrast those who are haters of the cross to those who are eagerly waiting for Jesus Christ. You could put it this way. Those who are of a worldly mindset. If you're of a worldly mindset, you have to be a hater of the cross. You can't love the world and love the cross. John says that in 1 John. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If somebody stands in a pulpit in our day and says that, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you, we would stand back and say, you can't say that. Who are you to make such a statement? But the Apostle John makes the statement. If you love the world, your heart is given to the world, there's no love of the Father in you. There's a contrast. And by world there, he's not talking simply materialism. He's talking about the, the philosophical mindset of the world, which is satanic in nature. So we've got this sharp contrast, and Paul's using this in order to, to point them to a, a greater eagerness for the return of Jesus Christ. So those who are haters of the cross first, those who are of the worldly mindset, notice what he says of them, beginning in verse 18. At the very end, they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. It's not just that they have within their hearts and in their minds enmity 
towards the cross of Christ, it's that they live consistent with that enmity. That's so important in the text because Paul is saying, be like me. Don't just do what I do. Be like me in being. And he's saying of them, in their being, they hate the cross. Technically, that's everybody who's not a Christian. And even the person who says, well, I don't hate Christianity. I just, I just, I'm not a follower of it. You're, then you're a hater of it. <laughs> there's, there's no in-between. It's the rebellious nature of man that won't come to a loving God who is all-powerful, who provides everything for us. It's a rebellious, wicked heart of rebellion, even though it says, I got nothing against you, church people. I just happen to not be one of you. They are haters of the cross of Christ, which means this. They are haters of the person of Jesus Christ. Now let's get real technical. I know we're in church, but does that describe you? Some of you young people in here, you've got stuff. What a culture to tantalize things before you and say, follow me, grab for me, come for me. And those things make you a hater of Jesus Christ. As you sit here this morning, are you an enemy of the cross of Jesus Christ? That hits us as moms and dads too. We must seek ourselves out. We must seek our hearts. I think they're enemies of the cross of Christ as well because in all probability, they're a group, though we, we can't identify the group exactly. Paul doesn't do it. But they're, they're most likely a group that does not like the idea of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, that his sacrifice paid for sin. You know what they want to do? They want to do all these other things. They want to do all these works. All these works that you have to do will bring about your salvation. They hate the cross because the preaching of the gospel says this. Jesus paid it all. Every single sin, Christian, that you have ever committed, ever will commit, Jesus Christ paid the price for it. One of the things about that movie that we watched last night, I'm not going to tell you the name of it so that I won't ruin it for you. You won't know if it's the movie or not. But in the end of, towards the end of the movie, the, the girl, the, the prostitute, comes finally with the guy, but <clears throat> she has a hard time staying. It's the story of, of Hosea. It's the story of Hosea. She leaves three times. I just ruined part of the story for you. But one thing she wrestles with, and we wrestle with this, Christian, is she can't get over that he would accept her and forgive her and not hold her past against her. She, he has. He's a, he's a godly, Christ-loving man walking by the, the teaching of the scriptures. But she can't deal with it in her own mind. You know, there's lots of Christians that are right there. They cannot deal with the fact that Jesus Christ and God through Jesus Christ has washed away their sin. He doesn't say to you, yeah, well, most of them, but remember, I'm going to take this one. God does not do that. We do that. It connects to Paul being so saturated in the grace of God. He understood it. Look what else it says about this group and see if you want to be part of it. They're enemies of the cross. Their end is destruction. And what he's talking about there is the biblical doctrine of eternal destruction, eternal damnation. They will be cast off from the presence of God, from experiencing any of the goodness of God, a hamburger, a drink of water, the cool air blowing out of an air conditioner. They will not experience anything of the goodness of God. They will be left in outer darkness, not able to say to the person next to them, it's terrible down here, isn't it? Think on that. I, I think one of the things that brought me to Christ was the contemplation of hell. 
I remember as a kid many times dropping out of the bed onto my knees saying, Oh, Lord, I don't want to go there. Whatever has to be done, God, save me from that. We need to contemplate that. It's reality. Therein, all haters of the cross of Jesus Christ will suffer eternal damnation. And many of them have been cast into it already. Look what else he says about them. And he says it with weeping. Their God is their stomach. Well, it's a good thing we don't have any of that in our day. Their God is their stomach. What makes them feel good right here, that's what they're going to do. Significant, isn't it? That he says, it's their God. They serve. Think of how stupid this is. They serve their stomachs. Stomach says, I want such and such. You're going to get it because I serve you. He says as well here, their glory, the very thing they glory in is their shame. It's a shameful, rotten thing. What they say, look at me, look at this. Here's my glory. In God's view, in Christ's view, in Paul's view, and it's got to be our view, that very thing is shame. We see that in our day. Now Paul gives us this contrast. Christian, bask in this. We're not going to expound these. This is where the sermon could go on and on and on and on. But let's at least scan them. He says this. But, 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 there's that beautiful contrast. But our, notice again, our, he joins us with him. This is the mighty apostle Paul, and he's not afraid to say our, joining us with him. Our citizenship is in heaven. You're already registered. I've got a sister-in-law from Jamaica. She had to go to... Atlanta, then from Atlanta down to Montgomery to officially sign the paper. She's been in the, the country legally since sometime in the 70s. And they're still processing. But she had to, and it's still not done. Christian, your citizenship is done. <laughs> you don't have to drive to Atlanta. You don't have to process through the government of the United States of America, which would take who knows how long. Your citizenship, citizenship is done because you have been united to Jesus Christ and he is a full citizen of heaven. So you're citizens of heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there. Eagerly waiting. We miss out on these words, don't we? The earnest, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And at times we blah, 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 blah in prayer. We're eagerly waiting. Christian, are you eagerly waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? If not, don't beat yourself up for it. But as Paul says here, become imitators of me. Start eagerly waiting for it. You know how you do that? You start thinking about it. And you search out what the scriptures have to say about it. And then your mind doesn't go just to daily, um, daily responsibilities and even the good things of daily life. It looks forward. It's transformed by the forward look. The day where Paul says in Romans 8, when the creation itself will be released from its bondage to sin and decay. We are to be looking forward to that. If you've gotten so wrapped up in the, in the present and the now that you can't look forward to that, it's time to change. Time to reorient your thinking. We eagerly wait for a Savior from there. Who is that Savior? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses the full title for a reason. When Paul says the Lord Jesus Christ or our Lord Jesus Christ, he's bringing the full authority of Jesus Christ to play. Look what he will do in verse 23. I'm sorry, verse 21. He will transform. Very significant word. He'll make it something that it's not. 
He will transform our bodies. The, the Christian life, I went to a, a, a college where it was focused on uh, soul winning. Soul winning, soul winning, go soul winning. And I realized through the study of Reformed theology, God just doesn't save our souls. There's an emphasis in the scriptures on him saving our bodies, on him transforming our bodies. We will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Now look what he says here. And, and keep this, y'all, this is so vital. Keep this away from the realm of wishful thinking, of fantasy, of sci-fi, of sitting down watching something somebody creatively made up on a television show. This is reality. And we don't think of it as we ought. Jesus Christ is going to transform our lowly, humble condition, our bodies, into the likeness of His glorious body. Jesus is not going to change us just inwardly. He's going to change us outwardly as well. In fact, if you get time today, read 2 Peter chapter 3. And people are mocking, saying, ha, where's the promise of his coming? We Christians fall into that, don't we? We don't, ah, it's 2,000 years. He says, no, no, the day is coming where the present elements, the very word is used there that is used of the periodic table of the elements, the very elements will be consumed with fervent heat. God will burn it up. But a new heavens and new earth will come in which righteousness and only righteousness dwells. If you are not among the righteous, you will not be in the new heavens and new earth. You will have suffered eternal destruction. Eternal destruction, think about this, cannot be that which is destroyed and is no more. It's that which for all of eternity is under destruction. But the Christian, the Christian has this to look forward to. Jesus Christ, who suffered death, who was raised in his glorious body, is going to make us like unto him. How is he going to do that? How could he possibly do that? Paul stacks the terms up. Look at the end here. By the power that empowers him to subject everything to himself. You know what Christ has been doing since the resurrection, the exaltation, the uh, exaltation to his right hand and his coronation? He's conquering the universe, everything. He's working every single thing out to his glory, including the destruction of the wicked. Very important question. Which group do you want to be in? Or maybe the question should be this. Which group are you in? Are you in the group whose God is their belly, whose end is destruction? Who are haters of the cross of Jesus Christ? Or do you want to be in the group, or are you now in the group, who eagerly wait for Jesus Christ? And that eager waiting is rooted in the love for the Savior. A love for the Savior causes us to look forward to the coming of the Savior. You better ask, answer that question. You better answer it right. You better pursue the right thing. And then notice, I'm not going to expound on this because it's going to be opened up to you uh, next week. But verse 1 of chapter 4, here's his conclusion. So then... With this being the case, with the fact that the Savior who is going to come from heaven is going to transform us by his incredible power that empowers him to do, bring everything in submission to himself. Paul says this, stand firm. Amen. Stand firm. You see, the, the Philippian Christians were wavering. You may be wavering. You may be looking at the world and saying, man, look, look at their success. That's what, that's what Psalm 73 is about. The writer of Psalm 73 looks at the world and he says, man, look what they're doing there. The wicked are thriving. They've got gold necklaces and chains. They're thriving. And he says, I almost forsook the Lord until I went into the temple and I realized the end of the wicked. 
and it reestablishes faith. And so he says to them, putting all these great terms, you're my, my loved, my longed for, my joy, my crown, you're, the, you're my beloved, stand firm. Stand firm, Philippians. I know you're in, a, you're in a rank pagan society in a Roman culture which is exceedingly wicked. Stand firm. Don't collapse. Don't fall into it. Stand firm. Y'all stand firm. I love in the movie Master and Commander. They're about to engage in a battle against the ultimate any enemy ship. I mean, the whole show is about this conflict. And the young guys are at their cannons now. Of course, they're, they're kind of shaking. And the commander, the master and commander comes through and he says, steady lads, steady. Steady lads, steady. That's what Paul's saying here. Steady Christians, steady. Stand firm. If you're about to collapse, no, 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 no. Stand firm. Amen. Christ is the victor. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, this is a lot that we have covered this morning because your word packs so much into such little spaces. We thank you for these truths. We pray, O oh Father, that you would help us, help each one of us here to see the, uh, the pastoral tone of this text, that Paul is not beating us up with a big hammer he is, his pastoral heart is pleading with us to do these things. Father, help us to be imitators of Christ, to, of Paul, to, to beat down the proud hearts of rebellion that would uh, fight against that. But help us to imitate Paul and to carefully observe those who do the same. Father, we ask that our eyes would be open to the true end of those who are enemies of the cross of Christ that they will go down to eternal destruction because their God is their belly, because they serve themselves. We ask, O oh Lord, that we would not be in that group. We pray with thanksgiving for what Christ has done, and we eagerly wait for his return. Father, help us to set our hope and our desire and our minds and our thinking upon these eternal blessed realities, and help us to stand firm any who are wavering in here, Lord, we pray that you'd help them to stand firm, to hold on to Christ as Christ holds on to them. We commit this to you in the glorious name of Christ our Lord. Amen.